continuing series in important events. Tonight, we are going to salute the lowly ant, please. Come on, let's go, gang. All right, let's go. All right, baby, come on, let's go. We're going to salute the ant tonight. Hooray for the ant. Yeah, you don't have to brag, man. Everybody can tell this way.
lose your lift with this baby once, and you're dead. E.E.D. E. <laughs> How'd that sound, Jerry? Okay? Okay. You know, you know it's funny. Uh, I've, I've begun to... Uh, to notice something, uh, I'm just going to throw it out for what it's worth. Any of you out there that are uh, sociologists or... And by the way, I got a great letter the other day from a sociologist about a show, which uh, some that I may talk about. But nevertheless, no, I'm serious. You know, sociology is changing rapidly. And uh, there's two schools of thought. There's the classical sociologist, and there's, then there's the sociologist that deals with, uh, you know, people. <laughs> I'm serious, it's getting like religion, you know. Well, that's what's happening with religion, too. That it's divided into two groups of people, the theorists and, you know, the people who are dealing with people. And uh, and let, let, let's put it this way, that theory is not entirely bad, nor are people entirely good. <laughs> so, you know, you have, to, you have to split right down the middle. And, of course, this is also true of education today. There's a great schism a great word, by the way, schism. There's a great schism right down the middle between educators who deal with what is around, and in other words, what people run into constantly, and, of course, the classical educator. And uh, they're two separate and distinct schools. Oh, yeah, listen, you, you really... We've all gone through that. That's not a new thing, of course. We've, we've all gone through that. I, I can remember sitting in the middle of a, of a hot June afternoon. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. It was about six or seven days before the end of school. And the temperature was like 107 degrees in this classroom. And I was trying. It was like, it was like did you ever hear of the myth of Sisyphus? You never did, huh? Well, <laughs> I am surrounded by knaves. And, but uh, nevertheless, <laughs> no, this, the, the myth of Sisyphus, of course, is a Camus. And it deals with the, the, uh, the, the uh, well, it's a kind of a, a legend, really, and uh, it's it's a guy, Sisyphus, pushing a rock up a up a, a fantastic mountain, saying he struggles. He's just struggling tremendously to push this rock up the mountain, and each time he gets it, it looks like he's going to make it. See, the rock starts rolling back down again. He gets sliding backwards, and he finally stops the backward slide at a rock. And after, of course, getting all banged up in the process, then he starts to push it up the big, fantastic mountain again. You see, up and up, and he never he never reaches the top, of course. Uh, and and he always is under the impression he is about to. Sounds like your life, right, Fred? Well, that's exactly what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> that's what the myth of Sisyphus is about. Your life. Well, anyway, this this is something you know. Like uh, we've all we've all we're all part of it. There's nobody who's escaping it. That's it. Life is life, and that's the end of it. And there's no way to escape it. And so, no matter who you are. Whether the, whether you're the president or some guy you know working in the mailroom someplace in a, a you know used car lot out in Queens, uh, you always feel that any minute now this fantastic thing is going to happen to you. You're going to get to the top of the mountain. But then you always find yourself suddenly, without any warning, sliding backward amid a lot of brambles and people yelling and hollering, and you're tearing the, the knees out of your pants and all that stuff, see? <laughs> and, and you finally, you finally, you know, you tear your fingernails out, oh, just terrible. And you finally stop in the middle of this backward slide, and you finally get the rock, and everybody cheers, see? Everybody cheers. They say, hooray, you got the rock. Oh, so look at it, you got it stopped again. And old Sisyphus did it again. Old Fred is pulling it off. And you finally get the rock stopped, see? Sometimes, on the other hand, the ultimate, uh, of course, conclusion to the myth is that when the rock starts rolling backwards one day down a hill and you fling yourself into it again to try to stop it like you have done all those years, the rock doesn't stop. Zap! 
Nothing but a pair of shoes. And the rock just keeps going on. Just keeps moving. Well, of course, uh, the myth of Sisyphus, uh, it's, we've all dealt with it. And uh, I, I remember sitting in this hot classroom. Oh, boy. Like it's 110 degrees. See, it's about, it's about three or four or maybe five days before the end of the semester. And that, incidentally, was uh, the day of reckoning. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, the day of reckoning always comes. I think that's one of the great things about being in school is that there's always a day of reckoning. And it's finite. You can point to it. The day of reckoning is June 19th. Whereas in, uh, you know, in, in real people's lives, uh, as opposed to students, in real people's lives, the day of reckoning is never really finite. It's just drifting around. And you always suspect there will be one, but you, you, can't, re- you, cannot, you, know, you can't point to it. You can't say, it's going to be June 19th. You just sort of drift. And I think this is one of the reasons why so many people have a terrific... Uh, uh, they're, they're drawn magnetically to planned societies. They really are. They don't know this, but they're often drawn because they, 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 don't, they don't like the formlessness of life. They want things down, even if they're bad. See? <laughs> even if the OGPU comes and belts them on the top of the head with a lead club, it's okay. They know they're going to come every day at the 1236. They're going to be here, and by George, you guy can count on it. And uh, you can define, you see, when you're, under, when you're under totalitarian rule, I think a lot of people secretly have a, have a, uh, a real desire for a dictatorship, see, because when you're under a dictatorship, then you can feel perfectly free to define who the villain is. Yeah, really. I, I think uh, a lot of people would love to be under Mao, see? Then they could walk around and be in the underground, see? <laughs> and they don't know this, but it's true. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a subtle thing, you know. And uh, the idea of, of being able to define who the bad guy is. Because, you know, we can always define who the good guy is. Guess who? Okay. We're, we're set on that on, right, gang? But it's it's not so easy to define who the bad guy is. Because, you see, under a democracy, he gets getting voted out. I mean, you know, uh, what's a guy going to do? And, he, you know, he's just invested in, uh, you know, 58 million buttons that say, uh, punch Lyndon Johnson in the mouth. And then Johnson up and quits. Well, you know, that's the worst thinky thing you can do. That's the ultimate think out. So, you know, so here you got it. You know, you got all these buttons and all that stuff. So uh, ultimately, you you, uh, you you have to have a. That's one of the great things about the uh, you know totalitarian society. Nobody ever voted a dictator out. There has never been a dictator, to my knowledge, voted out from Caligula on down. He did pretty good, by the way. Uh, if if you don't know anything about Caligula, you should look him up. If you think that you've seen some thinks in office, you ought to see what Caligula did. I mean, among other things, he appointed his horse a senator. I mean, if you think uh, this this business is hanky-panky with the Supreme Court or something, you ought to say, <laughs> I mean, after all. <laughs> but uh, this, this kind of stuff has a long, long history. So I'm sitting in this classroom sweating. Oh, man, the sweat is dripping down. And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to read one of the worst books I ever heard of in my life. I'm trying to read my way through, and it's been going on all semester, see, because they're going to have this big exam in it. Silas Marner. Oh, my God almighty. I mean... Oh, you talk about the drift between reality and life and the truth. I mean, if you think if you think your education, friends, is not relevant, I want to tell you when you're sitting in the middle of a steel mill and the smoke is coming out of the Bessemer converters, you can see them out the window and you can hear fist fights down to the pool room, and you know, drifting in through the hot, hot uh, July and June air. When you're sitting in a classroom and you're trying to read your way through Silas Miner, well, you know, it becomes academic. 
There's no question about uh, whether it's relevant or not. And, uh, speaking of irrelevant, this is W.O.R. Friends, totally dynamically, completely, thoroughly, and without a question of a doubt, relevant. Revelant. I mean, I'm sorry, the copy says revelant. You know how our copy department is there. Would you please salute the relevant in our life, please? Bring it on. Come on, hit it there. Come on, hit it. Come on, let's go. Ash, my, uns, vai. Just bring it on. You don't have to... Here it comes. Yeah. Hooray for relevance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, let's go, game. Come on. Oh, come on, come on, come on. This guy, every time he's hung up on that business, it's nothing like self-promotion, friends. It'll kill us all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come, come on, play it. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Hooray for relevance. R-E-B-E-L-A-N-T Ray for Silas Miner And all the gang Not to mention Jane Austen Hooray, hooray, hooray Relevance I love R-E-B-E-L-A-N-T-S I love relevance That's enough, that's enough We saluted relevance Enough. enough of that relevant stuff. Too much relevance, you know, can make you break out. Like a lot of things. Speaking of breaking out, uh, we've uh, once more got uh, year one here with us, friends. Year, year one. <laughs> <laughs> At this very moment, a mysterious psychic spell is being placed on you. You will go to your mailbox very shortly. And you will place in the mail a check for $2. Address to year one. 460 West 34th Street. New York, New York. Shortly thereafter, you will own the magnificent year one poster, and your entire life will flash before your eyes. Bump, bump, bump. That was a great commercial. I don't ride you, Jack O'Brien. He really does a fantastic commercial. To stop taking it, I had to realize that, you know, I'm me, and... The me that's coming out when I'm straight and the me that's without drugs is the best me there is. And Her name is Chris. She's talking about a drug called speed. I think speed is a lot worse than heroin. When you get into it heavily, you just lose all sense of caring for anything. Except, you know, just do a little more, do a little more, do a little more. And then that's all there is. The more you take, the harder you come down. And sometimes the crashing is just really awful. If you shoot it, I mean, I can't envision shooting it for more than a year. And, and not dying. I was very close to two people who were really into amphetamine, and I loved them a lot. But as far as they were concerned, the only thing that they had was, was the meth, and that was their life. And they're both dead now. Lexi's, Benny's, meth are all called speed these days. And people who know speed, know speed kills. The preceding was brought to you by the National Institute of Mental Health. You know, while we're on the subject of, uh, of uh, Silas Marner and relevance, uh, and, the, you know, you're sitting there and you're sweating. And you, everybody, everybody constantly, all of his life, no matter who he is, is trying to hook onto the action. This is one of the great myths of man, is that there is a place called action. And it's something that the other guys are doing, especially the guys in the TWA commercials. 
or in the uh, beer commercials. You've also, have, you, have you ever ever seen a party like those beer commercial parties? Aren't they great? Notice nobody ever gets skunked. You never see anybody fist fighting. Every time I go to a party where they serve a lot of beer, it winds up with guys hitting each other, and you know, <laughs> they never mention that. Yeah, that's a real party. But uh, we're always trying to hook onto the action. Learn what the secret is. And one time, well, you know, you, you learn about secrets a lot of different ways. My Aunt Glenn, for example, she believed seriously that the kids learn from nature. Used to say that all the time. Oh, you sure do. You can learn a lot from nature, friends, if you watch. Careful enough. But you've got to be careful, too. A guy wrote to me, he says, I read your piece in, uh, in uh, Lampoon, Splat, the name of the piece. And uh, he says, you know, you hit it right on the head. He says, there's a collie down the street that has been responsible for ruining four pair of shoes for me. Four. One. Just one, two, three, four, like that. He says, a nice dog. You never see that side of Lassie on TV. You just don't. So there you go. <laughs> there you go again. Your life versus the life of the dream world. Your life. And uh, a lot of people live in the life of the dream world. They, they really do. They, they actually believe that uh, being Doris Day is a desirable state. They do. Uh, this is a separate kind of dream world. They, 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 they firmly believe, absolutely firmly believe, in the Boy Scout oath. It'll cover all problems. Absolutely. Uh, they believe, oh yes, there, there are people, of course I would say that more than anything else today, this is going to be known as the age, you know how they have the jazz age? You heard about that? The, the age of reason, you heard about that one? That must have been a groovy time to be around, that was a, that was a quick age. Uh, the age of reason, <laughs> and uh, you heard about that, huh? Well, this is going to be the age of the slogan. There are more damn slogans around, I'll tell you, they're growing out of every... Between the cracks of every sidewalk, you see nothing but slogans. Guys walking around with buttons, slogans. In fact, now, buttons have, have uh, even done away with slogans. That's too much to think about. You know, words, some people can't even read a slogan. You know, it says peace without moving their lips. Oh, yeah, peace. I say peace. Peace. Peak. Peace. Oh, it says peace. I see. Well, uh, so they've done away with words. And now many of the buttons just, you know, have a color. Like three, four colors on it, that's all. It, uh, it just encompasses the whole. It's uh, coded. This is coded philosophies, color coded, and it's uh, <laughs> not bad. And so you can you can buy a button that color codes you, tells you what you know, tells the world what your philosophy is. Just a little button there, green, black, blue, green, orange. Doesn't matter. Boop. There it is. This is what I believe in. Actually, it's what I don't believe in. So you put it on, and uh, this is going to be known as the age of the great colossal, total, all-encompassing slogan. And people are going to look back on it. And they say, gee, you mean those people just believe those little slogans like that? Serious people? So yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Harvard, for example. You see them all over Harvard? Oh, yes. And they say, well, that's a little opposite to the age of reason. Well, reason, forget it, friends. Reason is a bad word. I mean, intellect is a bad, bad word today. Passion is what counts, right? That's what Attila the Hun said. Passion. Let's have some passion. Let's bring it on. Big, big. Let's, let's salute passion. Hooray for passion. Let's go. Oh, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That guy's going to go again. You just can't stop that guy. Hooray for passion. Well, tonight, though, uh, you know, I have, to, I have to mention, though, this little thing about one of the great lessons that I learned in my life, and it turns out it was a phony. My Aunt Glenn said that uh, I was going to have to learn from... Uh, Nature, so she'd love that kind. She was a nice aunt. She used to grow geraniums. A classical ant type. Geraniums. She had flower boxes. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. She had false teeth. 
you know, she had all, everything going, flowered print dresses and aprons and stuff, and used a lot of talcum powder and things, and the hairpins would fall out of her hair. She's a true aunt. Well, nevertheless, yeah, very kindly aunt, Aunt Gwen. And uh, one time, Aunt Gwen, my mother almost flipped, I, I had this birthday coming up, see, and we went to visit Aunt Gwen. And she says, uh, I have a gift for you, and now I want you to learn from it. Well, any time a kid gets a gift that he's told he's going to learn from, and immediately he breaks out in about 19 different rashes. <laughs> oh, that's always bad news. So, nevertheless, this gift came, and all, you know, it was all wrapped up in a package, and I thought, yeah, you know, great. And uh, I, I figured at first it was some kind of a dull book. My Aunt Glenn continually gave me dull books on how to brush your teeth, which uh, was nice. Uh, yeah, oh, yes, The Bunny Brushes His Teeth was a great book that I read one time. Oh, <laughs> what a book. <laughs> Although I might say this, the plot was rather interesting. The idea of a bunny brushing his teeth is a little more interesting than a book, the kind of books that kids read today, like, uh, you know, Take a Trip with the Postman. That's a zinger. Or uh, Let's Visit the Dairy. Oh, gee, isn't that exciting? Uh, this, you know, this is, this is called a learning experience. Actually, what it really is to a kid is a boring experience. But the nice mothers don't know about that, see. Because the word learning is, in our time, a mystical, religious word. And that learning has replaced belief as a mystical word. See, in the 19th century, the great mystical word was belief. Anybody had belief to believe. And there were great wrestlings of conscience over whether you should believe or not. You know, oh, boy. I mean, Cotton Mather and all that crowd, they started it, say, a few years earlier, but then it reached its epitome in the 19th century where guys would write, you know, 17-pound books on whether or not they should believe. Well, now, now that's all over now. It's all decided now. You don't. It's all decided now that, that the non-belief crowd has won out. But now the new mystical battle is over the word learning. People believe that to learn is to be akin to godliness. As it used to be, you know, to be to believe is akin to godliness. Today, it's to learn. Godly, you know, learning is a godly experience, and uh, so you're, the, the whole concept of education, students, and all that is related, kind of with with uh, with religiosity. And uh, the student today occupies the same place in the lexicon of the average guy as say, uh, or a seminarian did years ago. He was kind of touched with uh, beauty and truth, and uh, so he could make. Uh, great statements on beauty and truth. I mean, back in the days when, you know, when it was all seminarians and belief and all that stuff. Well, in our time, it's the student. And so he is carrying forward the banner of God in the guise of learning. So this is, uh, this is you know, it gets a little complex here. You have to keep up with what's uh, a buzzword of your time. Well, my Aunt Glenn was right in the scene, see? So here it is. It's time for me to get a birthday gift. So she says, hey, I want you to learn from this. You're supposed to learn from everything. So, uh, I opened the package up, and I couldn't figure out what it was at first. What the, you know, what is this? It was kind of a flat thing with glass on it. I said, well, and I looked at it, I couldn't believe it. My Aunt Glenn had scored. I mean, it was a fantastic gift. It was an ant colony. You ever had an ant, ant colony? Have you had one of them? How about you, Jerry? You never did? Oh, listen, everybody should have an ant colony at least once. I'm talking about an ant colony that's official. A lot of people got ant colonies, but they're unofficial. They live under the sink. But uh, <laughs> not to mention cockroach colonies and mice colonies and all the rest of it. But uh, nevertheless, this ant colony came with two pieces of glass like that together. See, with sand in between. And these ants were walking up and down. And they had these little houses and everything else in there, see. And I used to sit and watch the ants. Well, at first, I thought I had a bunch of, uh, you know, second-rate ants because I had been taught that the ant is extremely industrious. 
I mean, you know, when everybody everybody talks about you know the ant and the grasshopper. Remember that great uh, that great uh, myth about the ant and the grasshopper. If you don't know what it's about, well, it's you know it basically is this that uh, this uh, grasshopper is walking around. See, it's a nice summer day and he's having a groove and and he's playing his fiddle. I remember he always played fiddle. See, so he's playing a fiddle and singing and yelling and swinging and. and uh, it's a nice, warm day out. But the ant, what is the ant doing? The ant is working like a beaver. I mean, he's working like a, you know, he's really, he's carrying stuff, and he's packing it away down in the ground, and he's got seeds and junk like that. And the ant says, how come, how come you're messing around, grasshopper? Don't you realize that it's time to reap? Don't you realize it's time to pack away some seeds? And he says, come on, get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm playing grasshopper now. <laughs> oh, let's sing and dance. Come on, it's, it's a groovy day. Come on. Why don't you get off your duff and come on, let's go have a picnic. Let's quit all this business of digging holes in the ground and, and uh, saving the seeds. It's time to sing and dance. And he ran around singing and dance. And the ant says, oh, yes, but one day, there's always a sore head in every crowd. Every crowd, no matter what it is, is a wet blanket. And the ant is a wet blanket. The ant says, oh, yeah, all right, smart guy. One day, you are going to regret it. One day you're going to be in trouble, friend, and you're going to come knocking at my door and forget it. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's certainly well-spoken, Ant. That sounds just like an ant. And the grasshopper went off into his, you know, went off to the purple sunset playing his flute and, and, you know, doing the whole scene. Well, of course, what happened? Very shortly after that, all of a sudden, the calendar changed. And... <laughs> that's bad winds. Well, I want to tell you the cold wind comes out of the north, and that grasshopper who's been walking around in his Bermuda shorts, he is really, you know, he's getting blue with the cold, and he's hollering and yelling because he ain't packed no seeds away, and he's getting hungry, and all the trees are black and dead, nothing's going on. Now he is knee-deep in snow, and he is struggling. Oh, oh, I wished I had saved when I was... Oh, when it was groovy out here, I could have saved. Oh, I will go to the ant's house. Oh, maybe you'll help me. He knocks on the ant's door, see? And the ants are down, down, way down deep in the hole there that they've been making all summer. See, and they're sitting around scoffing seeds, and they're playing pinochle. You know how it is. It's warm down there, and they've got it made, see? All them ants are sitting down there playing cards. And here's the ant. Oh, help, help, ant. Oh, my God, ant. Wind is blowing past. With that, the ant swings his door back, see? And he looks out. Who's out there? As if he didn't know. Wind blowing. Help, help, ant, ant. Oh, my God, ant, ant. This is the grasshopper. Oh, I'm cold and I need a seed. Oh. What do you think that thinky ant did? Does that ant show the milk of human kindness? Does that ant show the depth of the charity that should flow through a good, you know, a good working liberal ant? No, sir. What does he say? Aha, grasshopper, I knew you would show up. <laughs> oh, yeah, now you're hungry, right? Well, now is the time for you to pay for all that singing and dancing you did all summer. Forget it. Zap. He closes the door. <laughs> the wind blows. End of the story. How do you like that? There was a moral at the end of that, and I forget it. What was the moral? Uh, I mean, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, if you're in trouble, don't go to no ant. That's the only moral I could get out of it. Forget it. I mean, that ant, that ant is a hard man. That's a hard one. Well, uh, I think the, the model, I might, you know, my Aunt Gwen, she says, now, do you, you remember the model, the ants then? She, I mean, I, I hated ants from that minute on. 
and I dug grasshoppers. I mean, here is a, here's a bug that knows where it is. I mean, this grasshopper, he sings and dances all summer long. He has a ball, you know. And, uh, of course, you know, where they missed out on that, uh, on that particular uh, uh, fable is the actual way it works, you see, is like this. I mean, the ant is, uh, he's packing away the seeds all summertime. He's working his little bottom to the bone, you know. He's working away and sweating. And, uh, and the ant is going off to Shea Stadium and watching the Mets play. And he's hanging around 42nd Street, you know, whistling the chicks. And he's doing a whole bit, see, drinking all the orange juice and having a great time and singing and yelling and hollering, going out to Jones Beach. I mean, you know, this ant is really having a, having a while, all the while the ant is working, see, and the grasshopper's having a good time. This is the way it really works in life. And then what happens? The wind comes. And what does the ant do? Well, the ant, he digs his way down through that cold earth, and he sits down there with his seeds, and the wind is blowing, and the snow is piling up. Right? What does the grasshopper do? Hops on a first plane, and he's sitting in Nassau. He's on the beach. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's the way life is. So the question is, friends, tonight, whether or not you're going to be... <laughs> you like that? You like that uh, grasshopper sitting on the beach down at Nassau, you know, playing his juice hop with, a, you know, this big blind grasshopper sitting on his knee? Uh, you know, he says, I wonder what happened to the ant. You remember that? Oh, he's back up there in Passaic, New Jersey, you know, with the snow up around his bazinkas, you know, and he's sitting around there. He's eating seeds. Who wants a seed? You know, and there he is sitting there with his great big fat steak. He doesn't need no seeds. Well, that's the, you know, that's the reality of life. Now, I'm sitting there, see, looking at my little ant city, trying to figure out what the lesson is in the ant. Well, and ants kept walking up and down. Some of them. You'd see one once in a while carrying a grain of sand on his back. And I began to think I had a second-rate crowd of ants. Because my ants, I'm serious, did not behave the way ants are supposed to behave. They just would sit there. I'd hit the thing once in a while. I'd hit it, you know, shake it up, and they'd run around like mad, and then they'd sit again. <laughs> well, that was the end of my ant colony. I was always vaguely disappointed in it. My aunt Glenn would say to me once in a while, Did you enjoy your ants, and did you get a lot of instruction from them? I hope you learned a real lesson from the ants. Yeah, I'd say. You know, kids learn how to say the right stuff early in life. Yeah, you know. She never asked me what I learned, but she just said, uh, you know, did you learn? I said, yeah. Okay. Now, for years, I have thought that I had a crowd of slum, second-rate ants sitting on their bottoms doing nothing but doing nothing. And today, I received, through the good offices of the Associated Press, vindication. I feel vindicated. And a lot of you people who have been feeling kind of inferior to the ant all of your life. Now, if, 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 if we were going to divide mankind up into insects, what kind of an insect would you be? An earthworm? Burrowing forever? Never seeing the light? Struggling, struggling, burrowing, burrowing, and then finally all you do in the end is get the hook? You notice I always say it's the early bird that gets the worm. It ain't the early worm that gets the bird. No, sir. Because remember, that worm got up just as early as that bird. And what did he get? Only one 
Lesson to be derived from that. Be a bird. Forget being a worm. Are you an ant? Are you a grasshopper? I suspect that there is a large, sizable collection of grasshoppers listening tonight. Are you, on the other hand, a caterpillar? <laughs> oh, no, caterpillars, they're a separate type of animal, you know. And uh, are you a tomato worm? Did you ever see a worse-looking bug than a tomato worm? Oh, that's a bad news bug. Big, fat bug. Yee, they weigh sometimes nine pounds. The big, fat, rotten-looking caterpillar eats, eats like a pig. Maybe that fits you. You're a tomato worm. Well, I want to tell you this. I have received information, and this is going to be of some solace to those of you who all of your life have felt inferior to the ants. Quote, Associated Press, Riverside, California. If an ant colony seems to teem with busy little creatures, it's only because there are so many ants and they look alike, said Dr. George and Jeanette Wheeler, two doctors working on this thing. The Wheelers, University of California faculty members, who have been taking an ant census on a sandy plot in the desert, report that in any ant colony, and we quote here, large numbers of individual ants just spend a lot of time, in fact, almost all of their time, loafing. <laughs> in other words, most of the ants are bums. Bums, you hear that? Bums! I want you to hear that! Bums! You want to hear the rest of it? It, it, it actually gets worse. Worse than that, the worker ants, who are all females, spend a lot of time just standing around primping. I mean, you know, looking in the mirror, seeing whether the hair is up and all that. Have you noticed that all the ants are females that are working? Oh, all the rest of them, the male ants are sitting around. You talk about woman's lib. The male ants are sitting around watching the ball game, you know, chewing <laughs> chewing tobacco. <laughs> I mean, it's discouraging to hear that the ants are bums. That's the next thing I'm going to hear and watch. Somebody's going to write me a letter and say, listen, you think ants are bad? Have you heard the real story of the beavers? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and watch, within minutes I'm going to get a letter that says, Listen, friend, you know all that jazz about how groovy the elephant's memory is? Well, here's the real story. You're going to discover a memory. You know, the elephant has a memory of about nine milliseconds. Can't even remember he's an elephant from one second to the next. <laughs> and, and he said, uh, Watch, I'm going to get a letter that's going to say, and you actually, all of your life, have believed that the lion is the king of beasts? Let me tell you about that bum. And I'll get 17 letters about it. <laughs> but you see, when these, when these hallowed things go tumbling down into the abyss of the destroyed icons and images of life, what does one replace it with? If you can't believe in the industrious side of ants, what are you going to believe in? I mean, watch. I'm going to get a letter that's going to say, you really believe that bluebirds are happy? Oh, my George. Oh, bluebirds. Let me tell you about bluebirds. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, and, and wherever you go, you know, you find, you, oh, yes, you can't, you, you can't accept anything today for the, you know, for truth. And so the fact that, that I have been revenged or avenged, excuse me, on the ants that I got for my birthday doesn't help it at all. You see, it was much more somehow comforting to know that the ant was this rock of belief. Yes. Well, there's other things, too, you know, that, that go, uh, well, let's just, just take your own life here now. Uh, you, you get, you mess around with ants. I'll never forget the time. You talk about ants. I was in Peru. Now, when we think of ants, and we think of these little things who walk around and eat your uh, peanut butter sandwiches at picnics, 
Well, listen, <laughs> I saw I saw some ants in the in the jungle of Peru that are what they call fire ants. You ever heard of fire ants? You heard of them? Well, you know, fire ants they go in a long line, and uh, they they're big they're big babies. They're they're about the well, actually, they're about the size of the average cricket or something in our country. Big son of the guns, and they bite with a shot that is about five times tougher than any kind of hornet that can get you. You know, that's why they call them fire ants. And so once in a while, uh, the Indians of that area, when they decide to do away with somebody who's been really stinky, they just, you know, they, they stake him out and let the fire ants have a shot at him. <laughs> and that's the end of the ballgame. But now, of course, this is just something else. You, you know, you see when you walk through life, you see these things. Now, uh, on the other hand, there are certain things you can't believe in. I mean, really. I mean, if 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 you want to if you want to believe in things, you have. Well, of course, man always has to believe in things, and the, no question about it. And there are certain things that that you can't believe in. For one thing, you can believe in your own virtue. There's no question about it. That uh, that all the people who are listening tonight, all of us, we're the good people, and uh, the others are the slobs, the rubes, and the boobs. Right? Now, that's something you can absolutely prove. That's true. Feels good, doesn't it? I mean, just think how rotten it must feel to be a, a slob. I mean, just think how, how a slob feels. How do you think a slob feels when he gets up in the morning? Does he feel alert, sharp, intelligent, keen, penetrating, and searching the way you do? <laughs> you can bet your pip he doesn't. What does he do? He wakes up in the morning and goes, that. That's from the beer last night. He scratches himself. Does he take a shower to be... To be expunged of all the earthly sins and crimes like you do? Always bright and sharp and shiny? Nah. He sweats. Shaves one side of his face with a dull blade. And what does he do then? He arrives at work maybe 40 minutes late. And where does he work? Well, he works in some dungeon someplace where they lift boxes and pile them up. And then they put them down again and then lift them up again. And then they pile them up and put them down again. And then he goes bowling with Aki that night. Right? Boy, isn't that a dull life. Isn't it great that you don't have to live a life like that? You can live a life that is so full of wonderful learning experiences like your life. Full of deep insights. Moments of satori. It's good to be one of the good people, isn't it? Just think how how lucky you are. Just think what you could have been born. I'll, I'll give you... As part of our great public service broadcasting here, we will give you five seconds right now to close your eyes and just give thanks that you were born as beautiful and as true and as clean-cutting and penetrating as you are. Thank God I'm me. Boom, ba boom. Now, you see, not many radio stations perform a public service of that type. Come right out and say it. I mean, come right out and admit it. It's groovy to be great. It's groovy to be groovy. <laughs> At, uh, but uh, then, on the other hand, of course, we must learn... Uh, uh, well, actually, it's not something that you have to learn. It is true also that you are unbelievably compassionate, my friend. I mean, you have the milk of human kindness flowing through you like a vast, untrammeled river coming rushing down out of the eternal hillsides of purity, beauty, and truth. That's the milk of human kindness flowing through your veins. So you see, in spite of the fact that you are a totally superior person, you do not use that against your lesser endowed fellow man, right? Of course. You speak only in the kindest way about his slop. 
I mean, unless, of course, it starts to impinge on, uh, on your own particular rights, which uh, naturally are, are uh, sacrosanct. Uh, in general, your kindness just flows, doesn't it? There it goes again. So tonight, uh, we, uh, you know, we thought we ought to bring you a little information about the ants, because after all, the ants has always been held over our head, right? Glad to know that there are a bunch of nothing creeps sitting around there and making the women do all the work, watching the ball games, and the women ants are standing around looking in the mirror and putting their hair up, you know, and buying Claire all, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Good to know that man at last is beginning to achieve his true superiority among all the clothes, creatures, everybody. Just think of it as a part of the world. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.